Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners around the world to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in California, and I'm joined with my co-host and friend, Liz Velstrin in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you? Hi, Alan. Doing well. Always nice to see you and hear your voice. It's always great to see you. I have to say I'm a little little challenged right now um, as I follow the current state of affairs with the coalition building that uh, Prime Minister-to-be Netanyahu is addressing. Um, I'm curious to know kind of how you are seeing this challenge between America, diaspora Jewish communities and what's going on in Israel and how Israel is viewing that relationship. Any thoughts on that? Sure. So maybe just in terms of updating, in terms of the logistics, right, for our listeners. So as we've been talking about, the parties that are likely to be part of the coalition are in this period of negotiations um, leading up to what is meant to be right enough parties agreeing to sit together in the coalition headed by uh, Netanyahu so that they form the majority of the Knesset, the majority of the parliament. And Netanyahu was given 28 days to bring this group together. We're now in the, the last week of those four weeks that he had, although because considerable progress has been made, he will probably have the opportunity to ask for a two-week extension. So he'll wind up having a little bit more time to figure this all out. Can I ask you a question about the extension? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So- is, is that indicative of the challenges that he's having, or is it a normal process where uh, a coalition builder will take some extra time to ask for more time to build the coalition? I, uh, it is not at all unusual. Um, and, you know, especially in in cases where the the leader of the coalition can show that he has made, he or she has made um, you know, good headway, and that there's reason to believe that it makes much more sense to try and give them two more weeks than to say, okay, this isn't going to work. We need to give someone else the opportunity. And all the more so in this particular case, where based on, you know, how the um, seats wound up, there isn't another, you know, likely candidate. It's not like in the in the previous election where it was quite close. Right. And the question was, OK, who would the president give the first dibs on trying to form the coalition here? It was very obvious who was going to get it because there isn't someone. So it will make more sense to give him a little more time than to say, OK, you failed. Let's start over. So so in your opinion, Netanyahu has the support of of his coalition building to form the government and just moving forward no matter what. Well, no, that's not exactly what I meant to say. I don't know that he will necessarily have the support of his coalition, but he certainly still has a better chance than any other leader of of forming a coalition. Okay, thank you for clarifying that because you know, as we talked about in the last coalition, um there was a lot more uh building of of people and issues to form the challenging but and narrow coalition. This one he has sixty-four seats, so that's a clear majority. So if he loses one or two, it's not going to be a big deal. Uh, seats, seats, not parties. Right, yeah, right. 
Yeah. So, right. So what he's trying to do now is to bring together these these parties, right? So that means his only Likud party coming together with Utsma uh, Yehudit, the religious Zionist party, uh, Noam, Shas, and UTJ, Union of Traditional Judaism, right? That's who he needs to get around the table. And with almost all of these, he has already signed an agreement about which um, high-level positions and ministries they will they will get. He hasn't done that yet with Shas and UTJ, but uh, but that's the next step. Now, signing all of these agreements about the positions is actually only half the battle, but it's, I guess, it's a big half. Um, The next part, um, once they've all said, okay, yes, you know, we agree, we're happy with the ministry positions that we've been given, they still have to come to an agreement on, you know, small things like, let's say, policy of what what is their agenda going to look like as a coalition. Right. It's a little bit, I mean, I'm saying it laughing, although it's also sort of sad, right? That something like, what will we as a coalition be aiming to do is something that's considered an afterthought. I mean, that does give us, you know, pause. So you talked about, you know, little things like policy and and ministerial positions. What are you seeing those directions? Um going to be i mean how how are they playing out because the way i see it they're very they're challenging so yes so you're still referring i think to the ministerial piece which makes perfect sense because a we haven't gotten to the policy piece and b as i was saying sort of tongue-in-cheek although it shouldn't be it's quite minimized in the way that the government is trying to come together and and will function it will be much more about whose ego has been stroked in the right way and who has, you know, what ministries and what positions of power that they want. So the challenging piece. I am, you know, uh, there are are two ways to look at what is challenging about this. One is the extent to which the Likud party feels like their back is against the wall and they have to give these other, you know, four or five parties whatever they want in order to form a coalition. Um, On the one hand, that's true of every time Israel tries to form a government. For the most part, there aren't usually like multiple different jigsaw ways that um, a coalition can come together. Although sometimes there is a little bit more flexibility than there is in this case, right? Sometimes you have you could say, okay, so if we don't have the religious parties, we could have these other parties. And if we don't have these, we could have those instead. Here, there really doesn't seem to be an alternative. He has to figure out how to sit with these if he's going to form a government, which gives them a lot of bargaining power. That's one. The second piece that's challenging is um, that the it's a, it's a quite right-wing you know, bunch of parties and the people that are asking for certain ministries are asking for those ministries because they have a very clear agenda that they want to push, right? When, um, you know, Ben Gvir wants to be in charge of 
uh, national security, there's a reason. It's because he wants to have control over what's going on in the territories and be able to impact uh, settlements and the role of the IDF in a very particular way with a very particular agenda. And that is not something that I would say is widely accepted across the board in Israel. And it's definitely not something that fits with the diaspora Jewish community agenda. The same is true for several other people and the ministries that they want. For example, I am from the Noam party, Avi Maoz thought that he wanted to have a role in the Ministry of Education. And in fact, as of now, the signed contract is meant to be in charge of all external educational programs. External educational programs could sound like it's not that big of a deal. It's like you have school and then external is maybe something extra like field, field trips. That's not the case in Israel. External is everything from science curriculum to civics curriculum to a lot of other things. Um, so it is a position with considerable authority and will infect the entire educational system in Israel. All of our schools in Israel are public schools in one way or another. Um, and so that is a very big role being filled by someone who has a track record of being anti-LGBT, anti-women, and hasn't tried to hide those views. Um, so again, this is an example of someone who's being brought into the government with a very specific portfolio that does not represent the way the majority of Israelis feel and definitely does not match with how diaspora Jewry feels. So let me ask you two follow-up questions to that. One is a simple one. Is external just non-religious uh, curricula? Um, no, it's. Uh, it's not non-religious, like math, for example, also would not be in the external category. Um, so it's not the difference of religious versus not religious. It's just what has be can come to be considered in Israel core uh, curriculum versus non-core. Why is science not part of the core? I have no idea. Because when there isn't enough money for it, we don't do it. Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> So, so we can follow up on that at another time. The other one is the party Noam. Did they even meet the threshold to have a Knesset seat? I I believe they do, yes. I thought that they didn't, but that could be completely wrong. My 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 point to that is that the Noam party did not have a large uh, base of support, but yet he's having a request for a significant role in the educational curriculum of the country? I am, yes. I mean, it's not a ministry, right? But it is an important role with a budget of something like 2 billion shekels a year. Um, and, you know, they've also just decided to move this particular department from within the Ministry of Education to the Prime Minister's office. So it's going to have even less sort of oversight by people who really know what they're talking about having to do with education specifically. Um, so it is, you know, concerning. And, um, you know, something that you and I have been talking about and 
maybe others are thinking about is what is the role, what should be the role of the global international Jewish community when something like this is going on in Israel? And I think that that topic, we're certainly not the first ones to talk about it in the history of Israel, right? Um, But in a lot of ways, that topic has always been sort of black and white. We've had that the mainstream Jewish organizations in the diaspora have felt that it was very important to show unquestioning support of Israel, right? You can have an opinion on, you know, what Israel's doing. You can be a little more left-leaning, you can be a little more right-leaning, that's fine. But bottom line, it's important that we say that our support of Israel is absolutely, you know, unequivocal. And we've had a much smaller minority of Jewish organizations in the diaspora who were willing to be more critical of Israel, who would call out Israel and say what Israel's doing in XYZ situation is wrong. That's sort of been a minority in terms of uh, international Jewish organization. But I think that that split, right now it doesn't seem to fit how how the diaspora is feeling and should feel about what's going on in Israel. The, the, the issues that are being brought up in Israeli society are really important ones on the diaspora agenda. And they're ones that it's, it's too hard to just say, okay, you know, we're going to support Israel no matter what and leave those for another day, especially because, right, that sentiment of, well, we'll leave the social matters for another day worked when Israel was experiencing, you know, some external existential threat. When Israel's at war, of course, we're going to all want to come together and say we support Israel no matter what. And we're not going to have infighting about, um, you know, less important matters. But now Israel isn't facing an imminent external threat right now. Okay, Iran, da, 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 we can always find something to say is threatening us. But, you know, there isn't something front and center right now that's threatening Israel. And those, you know, save it for another day, smaller internal issues seem to be much bigger ones than they've been before. And I think the confluence of those two things, right, of the issues being bigger and more in your face and certainly things that the diaspora community has an opinion on and it not being one of those times where we need to say, okay, it's all hands on deck you know, we have to have Israel's back because Israel's in a tough situation in terms of its external security. Those two things together, it makes perfect sense that we're going to see more vocal um, views coming from the diaspora about what's going on in Israel right now. Very, very good explanation to the situation. As As a Jewish leader, I'm challenged by the the upcoming government and how it plays out in communities where we have unconditionally been supportive of Israel. So we'll have to see how that plays out. My question to you is a follow-up. On the street in Israel, are people comfortable with the direction the country is going? Or do you see some, you know, opinions and uh, feelings that uh, internal 
structure needs to be changed or addressed? Yeah. So look, Israel has a lot of different groups of people with a lot of different opinions, right? And we see that in how the parties were elected. So, and we have no reason not to assume that these, um, that this last election does in fact reflect how different factions of the Israeli population feels. There are people who support each of these parties that have made it into the Knesset, right? In approximately those numbers that they've been elected in. But I am. But then when these parties come together to form a coalition, they're given power and they're given say that is not in proportion to how they actual how many seats they have. Right. We have the situation where parties that have three, four, seven seats are now getting an equal voice in what is going to become the governing coalition, um, which is just part of how the Israeli system works, but it, it, it leads us to then have a skewed view and think, you know, is this how all of Israeli society feels when in fact, that's not the case. And on the other side, what I would say is that there is starting to be, maybe it's a little bit late, but there is starting to be, um, even, and, and on the other hand, maybe it's a little bit early. You know what? Maybe that was too harsh for me to say that late. It's a little late and it's a little early. That even before this coalition has been formed, the Israeli public that I guess would be the equivalent of the opposition, right? All of the Israeli public that did not vote for any of these parties that are going to be in the coalition is starting to activate itself. Um, uh, Benny Gantz, for example, has called for the Israeli public to join him in creating what he's calling some sort of action forum. I don't really understand the logistics of how this will work. He wants people to sign petitions um, to prevent the sort of slew of early legislation that you and I talked about last week, that it's expected that the coalition, when it comes together, is going to want to put through very quickly, right? All of these legislation that's needed in order to you know, I cancel laws that would keep people with a criminal record from holding ministerial positions. I am a law that changes uh, the policing in Israel that gives more power to the minister of defense, right? This, this slate of things that they want to do. Um, so, so there is a sentiment of the Israeli part of the Israeli public feeling like they should already be doing something to counterbalance this potentially strong right-wing government that's going to start governing in the next couple of weeks. So we should kind of stay focused on on that part of the country that might start to challenge what direction the new coalition is going to go, the new government's going to go. Yeah, I think we should definitely keep our eye on what is the Israeli public going to do about this. You know, the Israeli public has a strong history of um, being willing to go out and protest on issues that affect them personally, right? When the price of milk goes up, people take to the streets. Um, When transportation isn't functioning the way it's public transportation isn't functioning the way it's supposed to, people will go out and protest. But whether people will come out and speak for, you know, changes to how um, 
you know, laws of governing are applied, I don't know, it's a little more esoteric. Or even will people come out and protest for somebody who's going to have a role in the education system who holds, you know, very right wing and racist views? It's hard to know. So I definitely think we should keep an eye on that. And on the other side, I think we should keep an eye on how American Jewish organizations and leaders of those organizations are going to find what I would posit is going to be a very new balance in terms of how much they want to stick to the traditional, we support Israel no matter what, versus how much they're going to stray into the waters of what used to be considered, you know, too critical of Israel to be critical of Israel at all. Um, but now seems that maybe it is called for, that maybe now is the time when, you know, it doesn't make sense to say we support Israel no matter what, because it's, you know, it's a time where you can make an impact or try to make an impact and have your voice heard. And there's not that kind of existential danger that outweighs the need to look at these other types of issues. Well, that's a really good place for us to end. <laughs> um, I have a couple of other thoughts that I just want to share with you, but I think that you summed up the the progress or the challenges of where we are in following the the building of the coalition it's not over with yet a couple more weeks left to to follow that um i do want to just share one one thing that tel aviv uh, lost its number two status of being the second or most expensive country city to live in it's now number three um, oh yes who who made its way further up on the list new york and i think singapore so so okay um we'll we'll have to look at that just knowing how how expensive we talked about it before how expensive housing is in israel knowing that tel aviv is still one of the most expensive cities in the world to to live in is something to think about and two we did not talk about sufganiyot we'll hold on to that one for another week or two okay but uh anything else you want to mention today i am i think that's well enough for today <laughs> I think I think you touched on some very critical parts of the challenges that we're, we're seeing today. Uh, thank you again for your insight, Liz. You're always spot on. I, uh, well, thank you for wanting to do this together and think through <laughs> and talk about you know what's going on. And I just want to thank our listeners for joining us today on Israel Rebound, a podcast bringing people from around the world together to hear about current events, identity, and uh, and other critical issues facing Israel and the Jewish world. So thank you all. Thanks, everyone.